everybody. Welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics in continuity order. We are in the middle of the early 1970s. Today, we're going to be picking up our run or review of Astonishing Tales, uh, and we get the first appearances of Garak the Petrified Man and Zaladade, who is weirdly a fan favorite. We're going to talk about them. We also have the first appearance of a, a lesser known character named Tonga, who has like three times more appearances than Zaladay. We'll talk about that <laughs> of the episode as well. I am so honored to have some professional and incredible guests joining me today to review this silly book. Uh, uh, what an honor to have Luciano Vecchio back on the show, and I'm so thrilled to welcome the talented artist Patricio Oliver. These two are uh, real friends. I did not know that. I invited Luciano, then I invited Patricio, and they're like, oh my god, we're best friends in real life. So this is a delightful happenstance. Let me have you both introduce yourselves. Let me know your name and pronouns, uh, where we might know you from professionally. And our intro question today is, what's the worst drink you have ever had? Uh, let's begin with my friend Luciano. Hi, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me again. Uh, my name is Luciano Vecchio, uh, he, him. I'm a comic book artist and occasionally writer from Argentina. Uh, I work mostly for Marvel Comics nowadays. Mm, the most current work uh, relevant to this podcast is uh, the last Hellfire Gala and the current Resurrection of Magneto. Uh, I also wrote and drew the Iceman Infinity episodes arc. Uh, so that that's most of my ex stuff that you might be familiar with. Yes, we got to talk to you about Iceman <laughs> once before on the show, and Iceman's about yeah. to get a lot of love on my show this year. We're in the early 70s, which is kind of a seminal time for him, oddly. Uh, what's the worst drink you've ever had, Luciano? Uh, from recent memory, I think last week. <laughs> 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 I, yeah, we went out, and uh, I'm at that point, I'm 41 now, and my body still didn't uh, learn what's the limit anymore. <laughs> so I'm very lightweight, and whenever I drink, I can easily uh, go past my limit. So I had the, the worst uh, hangover in years, like if I was a teenager. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I will say that gin tonic. Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember what you were drinking? Yeah, gin tonic, but too much. Okay, okay. <laughs> and then uh, over to Patricio next. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so good. Okay, thanks for this invitation. Um, well, my name is Patricio. I use he, him, his pronouns. And uh, I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. I'm a friend of Luciano. We live in the same city. We've been friends for a long, long time. <laughs> and I'm a graphic designer. I study at Buenos Aires University. And I'm a graphic designer, university teacher. I'm also an illustrator. You might know me from some fan arts and commissions I've been doing of the X-Men and Marvel comic characters. And sometimes uh, of Mephisto, which is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it was amazing because it was the classic version of Mephisto that I love based on John Buscema work. And I'm also a local comic book artist here in Argentina. So I have my own comic books here and I do my own comic book work here in Argentina. Uh, what's, the worst, what's the worst drink you've ever had, Patricio? Sex on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, I when I was a teenager, I didn't drink, 
I hate alcohol and stuff like that. But in my early 20s, I decided to start going to same nightclubs and stuff like that. And this, there was this club called America where they have this open bar situation where I will go and I say, okay, I need to start drinking. So I started drinking with Sex on the Beach and it was a train wreck. <laughs> it was a disaster. It was so horrible, but I couldn't stop drinking it. So for, I don't know, three or four months, I was drunk every weekend on that club. And <laughs> now if you are drinking Sex on the Beach near me, I will feel so sick by the smell of it. So that's it. That's it's it. that weird trend of, I hate it. Please pour me another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, can it. I can stop it. Give me more. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to meet you, Patricio. I'm a huge fan of your art. We'll talk about it. And I'm so beyond honored to be welcome, uh, welcoming. Finally, I, I, I invited this gentleman on my show a while back and he said, not yet, but I'll let you know when I'm ready. Uh, the incredibly talented Cena Grace is here. Cena, hi. It's so nice to meet you. Hi. How are you doing today? So good. Uh, let our listeners know, if they do not, uh, what's your name and pronouns, where they might know you from professionally, and what's the worst drink you've ever had? Uh, my name is Cena Grace. He, him pronouns. Uh, you might know me from uh, such comic books as Iceman from, you know, Marvel. And I've done a bunch of things at Image Comics. I write and draw comic books. So uh, right now I'm currently, like, on the last uh, legs of promoting a Superman book I wrote and drew called The Harvests of Youth. Um, and then the worst drink I've had that I can remember, uh, I was on a date and we ordered like a whole bottle of red wine uh, and uh, it was like 60 or $70. And we opened it and like the best way to describe it uh, was because it was like a natural wine and, and we're like, oh, we like barnyardy. We like kind of funky wines. And they're like, we got just the one for you. And the best way to describe this wine uh, is mermaid piss. <laughs> and and it was funny because like we both didn't like it. And, and I'm fine enough to just be like, send it back. Like, don't worry. Their profit margins include people turning their noses at opening like a shitty bottle of wine. Like, send it back. Um, and that, then the bottle we had after that was better. That takes me to, uh, if you guys have watched Shit's Creek, like Moira Rose's, like, Herbert Linger's Fruit Wine. Do you guys remember that? I don't know if you've seen that. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> she's she's drunk on it's It's uh, it's very much the, this is terrible, give me more thing. She's making a commercial. It gets increasingly drunk on terrible fruit wine from afar. <laughs> uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am a former Marvel Comics handbook writer, uh, current host of this show. I grew up Mormon, uh, much like uh, all of our mutual friends, Terry Blass and Philip Seavey, who I love and have on the show often. Uh, so I did not have my first drink until I was 32. I tried coffee first, which was so, you know, like that was the worst thing I could have done as a, a good Mormon boy. Now I drink coffee all the time. Uh, but my first drink, I had a friend was like really pressuring me. You just got to try. You just got to try. And he had made some sort of shitty eggnog with, I don't know, bourbon in it or something. And my first alcoholic drink, I think, was the very worst one I've ever had. It was just this awful, like, punchy, gross eggnog. Uh, I've never had eggnog again. The other one is like a, a hot toddy. Like anything, if you're melting butter and there's alcohol and it's hot, I do not enjoy oh. it. Yeah, that's not my favorite. I'm a, I'm a pretty big cocktail. Uh, 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 I don't know the right word to use. Uh, I'm passionate about making cocktails for friends now, uh, but I refuse to serve anything that has uh, melted butter in it. <laughs> it's always <laughs> my, my least favorite. 
Uh, I'm so honored to have the the three of you here. What a, a, a tremendous amount of talent. We're just going to kind of chat and get to know each other for a little while as we talk about all of your incredible work. Uh, Sina and Luciano have one uh, key thing in common. You are two of a handful of queer professionals who have had the opportunity to chart Iceman on a different course. We, uh, we've we given Iceman a lot of love on my show. We've been doing an analysis of the comics from the 60s, reading him as a queer character from the beginning. Uh, and I'm getting ready to, this summer, host uh, an epic episode on Iceman. I do a monthly thing on my show where we do a huge trial, where we do like a big maxi episode on one character. And it's fascinating to me how this character who in the 1960s was meant to be kind of the leave it to beaver, oh gosh, oh golly, I don't like girls kind of kid, uh, eventually started getting interpreted as this queer character. And it was like an inside joke at Marvel for a really long time. But now we're seeing him out and proud and being written by queer professionals like the two of you, Steve Orlando, Anthony Oliveira, people kind of charting him in these incredible paths as a hero. Uh, Sina, I would love to start here if you're willing. I I know uh, you are someone who has intrinsically worked on redefining this character and kind of setting him up for a new generation. I also know Marvel is uh, often, even when they are pushing queer storytelling, they put the reins on pretty tight. And I'm sure that is a frustrating thing at times when you're trying to tell particular stories with a lot of editorial oversight. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your origins and work with the character of Iceman, if you will. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I, you know, it, it, it's like, I'm so lucky that I got to, like, getting to work at Marvel, like, the department I went in through was X-Men, because they're my favorite characters, so I was, you know, puttering about trying to get some opportunities here and there, and, and had done a few short stories in a, I think, like, a one-shot for them. And and the the story goes that this editor was like, oh hey, like you know, uh, Iceman came out, but we're dealing with these like time displaced versions of them, and we've never really like focused on how the older version feels about <laughs> his own sexuality. Like, what do you think? And I didn't know that like I was auditioning, you know, uh, and so I just kind of was like, oh well, you know, he's like the he's like the stand up comic that like is suffering in plain sight, like with all of his jokes. Um, and would be kind of about that, like this guy just like dealing with like, you know, this thing inside of him that, uh, he is kind of hidden from everyone in plain sight. And yeah, it turned into like, okay, well, like send that as a document. I was like, oh, oh, this is the thing. And then I, you know, over and over again, uh, got it to where it was being turned into a thing. And it was very, it was just like such a weird time for the X-Men comics, just cause like, Again, we were focusing on these weird time-displaced teens. Um, and then there was already, I think, like a, a sort of like low hum of Jonathan Hickman's coming and like nuking all of this. Oh, it says I'm about to raise my hand. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not raising my hand. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just handsy. No. Um, and, and so there was just this weird vibe in the air, you know, like, don't, don't mess up the toys, but also mess up the toys because it doesn't matter. It's all going to get changed. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it was it was really fun and cool to to kind of like be a part of that process and um, and get to do some stuff and like sort of over time get their comfort. Because in the beginning, there were some really weird standalone stories that like you, you sort of like don't know what you're supposed to do when you're 
trying to, you know, break ground. Um, and then, and then it kind of became clear more at the end, sort of like, okay, this is, this is sort of the direction I want to take it in. Um, but yeah, it was very exciting. And I don't know, I, like that was, yeah, in a nutshell, that was sort of some of it, but if there's any specific angle or corner you're curious about. Uh, so many, actually, I'm really impressed with the complexity you created with this character for a long time. The stories related to him in the X-Men comics were about his humor, about his unexplored power. Uh, certain writers would bring along stories like James DeMatteis in the first Iceman limited series played a lot on his vulnerability and his complex relationship with his parents and feeling misunderstood. You explored him as an out gay man who came out later in life, which is literally my story. You explored his complex relationship with the X-Men characters themselves, uh, with other queer characters like Christian Frost, which was such a fun deep dig to bring in to his life. Uh, you explored him as an out kind of sexually active, sexually positive character but gave us the story with like Judah Friedlander of what it's like to date a superhero from a completely- Oh no, not Judah Judy, Friedlander. Judah, uh, what's his last name? Did I get his last name wrong? Judah Miller. Well, Judah Friedlander's an actor in 30 Rock. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, look up that name. I, I mean, like that, that looks like, like someone I would date, not, not Bobby. <laughs> this is the thing where I prepare, but then get flummoxed because I'm talking to professionals and I get a name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I would have let, I would have let it stay, but it's like, I don't want people to then be like, wait a minute. Wait, but you Bobby, also gave dated him... a, Bobby dated an SNL writer? No, <laughs> <laughs> but you also gave him really elevated threats, uh, Mr. Sinister being kind of the top of that list. I was really impressed with the arc you took this character on. And I know it's not easy to do that because you kind of never know when your book's going to get canceled or how long it's going to go. Uh, what's it like looking about looking uh, at this body of work a few years later, now that we're seeing this out queer Iceman in such a positive space? I, I really like that third volume a lot. Um, and then the, the, the other two, I'm just like, oof, messy, messy boots. Uh, mainly because it's like, again, I think you, you're saying sort of something like, oh, you know, you don't, you don't know how many bullets you have. I, that's a very, very violent image, but you don't, you don't know how many shots you have. And at the beginning they were like, oh, you'll be lucky if you have like a year. And then they were like, oh, you get 10. And then they were like, oh, okay, we'll give you 11. Um, and so, you know, I thought I like in my head, I was like, I'm going to get to do this for like two, three years. And I'm going to have this sort of like long arc and something that I've like now learned the lesson of is like comic book readers, you kind of need to give them like so much in the first two issues. Otherwise they're out. Um, and, and so I learned a lot there. And then I also think my, my focus kind of honed in once we got rid of the like teenage version of himself too like that got taken care of somewhere else between volumes two and three so really it could be his own book but like yeah the the kind of core of it was like the first arc was like about coming out and i guess it's good that the book is messy um and then and then that last arc is about like being out and sort of what do you do when your safety vest is on and how do you like look to community you know what i mean and that's sort of why like that and then that's how we got our little uh drag queen superhero in the book you know it's like then it's like okay we can breathe and like do some other shit <laughs> dark veil uh what an incredible fun character that just has meant a lot to a lot of people my single favorite issue of yours involves teenage bobby where iceman's going home to visit his very complicated parents 
And they see this kind of young time-traveling Bobby who's with their actual kid who's sitting right in front of them and seeing an opportunity kind of rehabilitate him or to do something different while adult, adult Bobby's sitting there. It's this exploration of, uh, I, I mean, every time I go home to see my mother, I feel that way in a particular way. Like I got to contain part of myself and I'm so frustrated. Uh, capturing that and the complexity of his really shitty dad and his very <laughs> his very too much mom is really interesting. Luciano, you then picked up some of those threads in your ice man infinity arc where uh bobby is literally battling the monster ghost of his dead father which is which is such a powerful story i would love to hear uh what uh well what parts of cena's work did you pick up uh in doing your own infinity work with iceman oh well i i felt my story needed to be like the next episode of cena's volume uh, and pick right after uh, the main difference was that between volumes, uh, um, Bobby's timeline had remerged, so he had reacquired the experience of his teenage self. And once you read that timeline as one same story, uh, it becomes very tragic because Bobby had to give up his growth and happiness for so long and come back out again as an adult. And it's very painful. Um, so that's the thing I, I wanted to explore the most. Um, uh, the even that, volume was very- I, uh, I was gonna say, even that insight so far, Luciano, is fascinating. Cause I, I don't know that I'd considered that. When Cena's writing Bobby, he is dealing with being newly out. But when you're writing him, he has all the memories of having come out as a teen restored. That's already a fascinating way to kind of view the character. Yeah, um, I was going to say, Sina's uh, volume was very influential for me. Even as an artist, deciding what I wanted to do with my career, I remember when I was reading the Iceman series, like thinking, I would love to draw this book uh, and team up uh, with this creator. Uh, I, I wasn't thinking as a writer at, at the time. I didn't even dream I get the, the chance to write my own story. So yeah, I, um, as a, uh, when I got the assignment, I started doing my homework and my research. So I decided it had to be like a organic progression uh i i took it really seriously and personal uh, as uh, i remember i, I met Cena in person uh, around when, when i was working <laughs> because i i got the chance to uh tell him before anyone like i i, I wanted like uh, you know like getting the blessing or <laughs> something it, it was huge it was i was going to be the the first author to go after him so it it, it was big shoes to fill uh, so yeah mainly it was those themes and also i wanted to pick up and explore a deeper look at the love life uh, and the relations with uh, christian frost and romeo which were uh, we we had mostly seen from afar or we were told they were in a relationship, but they never got to see the, what the relationship was like. So I wanted to uh, <laughs> take a closer look at that. And then the, the whole parent, the 
father death and mourning. Uh, I got a little personal there. I was like pre-processing the the imminent passing of my mother, uh, which happened after I did the, the story, and it had nothing to do with uh, the, <laughs> my mother. It's nothing to do like Bobby's father, but that that was something that was in my mind a lot. Uh, you know, like. Uh, surfing an emotional process without um, the need of it to be a proper resolution uh, of conflict. Uh, that, that doesn't have to be a resolution. Uh, and it's story material for me. I, uh, I've had such a tremendous honor on this show to interview a lot of different professionals, including J.M. Mateus, who kind of fleshed out uh, Bobby's dad for the first time. Uh, Rereading your arc yesterday, Luciano, from the Infinity comic, my own father recently died uh, just uh, three months ago, and we did not have a close relationship. And reading that story again hit me differently after losing my dad than it did the first time I read it uh, 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 18 months ago or whenever it came out. Uh, really, really beautiful work. And the phantom of Bobby's father kind of looming over all of this. Uh, and now we get to see this character followed up on uh, in uh, Steve Orlando's recent work. And I've also had the pleasure to interview Steve a couple of times. Uh, it's a really interesting character. And I love seeing this era where we get to see out queer superheroes written by out queer writers. Uh, I got to interview Simon Furman recently, who was commissioned by Marvel to write the North Star limited series right after North Star came out because it was such a big name in the news, but then they wouldn't let him do anything queer at all with the character at all. Like <laughs> he just, the, the, the most they got to do in alpha flight was have the public go, ah, he's going to get AIDS and he's queer. And get away. <laughs> like that was kind of it. He wasn't allowed to have affectionate relationships. It's just, it's a completely different era. And I'm, uh, I'm so honored to, uh, again, uh, joining uh, all of this in one conversation is a really lovely thing. Uh, Patricio, uh, all three of you are writers and artists, and I'm so impressed that uh, we have so much talent in one room. I have been following your work on Instagram for a while. You have this quirky, cartoony, just lovely way of redefining characters. Uh, meeting you in person is really fun. Uh, tell me a little bit about your introduction to the world of the X-Men, if you will, and a little bit about your art. Um, I started reading comic books and then the X-Men in particular in the 80s, in the late 80s, when I was a, uh, I was a little boy. <laughs> um, my father bought me a copy of the Spanish, uh, Spanish copy of the X-Men from the Paul Smith Discarimon era, where the Morlocks and Callisto were introduced. So it was like the best issue ever to, to meet the X-Men, you know? So I became a fan immediately. It was like that, that this book is talking to me. Like I didn't, I didn't even know that I was a queer kid, but I, I knew that this book was different. I could tell that they were, he was talking about something that I never seen before in any comic book before. So I said, I need to know these stories. I need to know about these characters. I want to know why this is talking to me in a very different way. And that's how I started reading comic books and X-Men in, in the 80s. I didn't stop since then. I'm a huge, huge fan of the book. I'm a huge fan of Chris Claremont. He defines my work in the present actually as a writer. I, I really admire, admire his work. And he has this way of using this queer coding that I never, uh, back then I, did, I didn't know that was queer coding, but now as an adult, I say, oh my God, all these characters, Callisto, oh my God, she's, amazing i mean this woman she's so different from all the other characters i've seen before she looks 
is she a, a woman? Is she a non-binary character? What's going on here? She's amazing. So I, I fell in love with the book. I fell in love with the X-Men, with the characters. And I was, I'm a graphic designer, but I decided to, to start a career as an illustrator many years ago. So, and I couldn't help doing fan art. Fan art is what I do in order to, to represent and to create images with my characters that I love. So I've been doing commissions and my own work of, of the X-Men. I, I even done some merch for the X-Men, but for different companies in USA, but never officially. Like, it's always like for, for different companies, but not for Marvel Comics, never. But uh, I really enjoy doing that. I love how fans react to fan art. They, they're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, I, I know most people say that sometimes fans can be too much, but in my case, I can complain. They've been super supportive of my work. They share it, they, they show it, they, they buy it, they also they buy it. So it's, I don't know, it's an amazing trip. I love it. I love doing comic books and I, and I love doing fan art of the X-Men. You and Luciano both have a very signature style. If I look at a picture and it's drawn by you, I immediately know. Sina, I was not aware that you were an artist uh, until you mentioned it a moment ago. I reread all of your Marvel work and I read a lot of what you've written, but I didn't know you were an artist. Tell me a little bit about your art and I would love to hear some of your early, or early origins into the X-Men as well. I, I drew six pages of Iceman. I, I just don't think I realized it. <laughs> and yeah, all the like, uh, the the 11th issue where his parents' neighbors are having like, his parents' neighbors having like a power meltdown. And there's all those like flashback images. I drew those. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, I've always wanted to, yeah, it's, you know, like I've always, like when I was a little kid, I would draw like my friends as Generation X characters. Because I just like loved Chris Pachalo's style. Actually, there's like I don't know if this is easy to show, but there's like here I'll like I'll be very quick about this, but like that cover on my wall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, next to my Adam Hughes cap. Jubilee, captive of Bastion. Yeah, I uh, I like love that era of his art so much. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to make comic books. And then I think I studied writing in college because uh, I was told, well, I felt at that time really like capable as an illustrator. And then uh, like <laughs> I, I was out with like Jose Villarubia one night and he got drunk and like started saying all this stuff about my art. And I was like, oh, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I, then, I, then I stepped my pussy up and like leveled up a bit. Um, but the thing with Marvel is like, and it's, it, it's great that they like love Luciano so much and, and gave him sort of this opportunity to like take on both roles. Cause they were very gatekeepy about that. And they were very, uh, like you're this or you're that we don't really like it when you're both. Um, so I think like in my career, I just kind of had to like pick a lane. And for a long time I was drawing books. Like I, uh, drew a web comic that became an image series called The Little Depressed Boy, and uh, I drew a kids book called Penny Dora and the Wishing Box. I'm like looking at my bookshelf. What else did I do? Um, and I did like a book called Burn the Orphanage. But then it's just you can you can write more books than you can draw, so it was easier to get like writing gigs and be known for that. And then the drawing stuff just over time became like okay, I only have so much bandwidth to do this like let's stop giving it to other people let's only do it for like me projects and so now it's like okay 
you know it's a special book when I'm drawing it too. Um, and so like I did these books at Image Comics called Rockstar and Softboy, which are like like no rules about queer representation. It's just like do whatever you want. It's about two gay best friends and it's like so lovably filthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making um, like copious notes. I have a lot of your stuff to look up. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you some PDFs too. Um, so you know, like, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't draw nearly as well as Luciano does. Um, but I, yeah, I love comic books, and and I think so. It's like when I do draw something, it's going to be more personal or more indie because I can't, I can't do action scenes for the life of me. Like that's the other thing is like. If, if someone asked me if I wanted to draw an Iceman series, I'd be like, no. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I would always be fine to like come back to that character in some capacity, but like, I don't think I could ever draw what Luciano draws. And so like, um, it's like, no, I, you know, I'm happy to do a flashback scene. I'm happy to do a scene where people sit and talk. <laughs> I'm happy to have him like put his hand out and do, <laughs> but like, no, no, uh, no double page spreads uh, on my clock. <laughs> Uh, what about your early origins to the X-Men themselves? Uh, I don't know how I, well, I don't, I don't know what came first, the comic or the cartoon. I think both, like, but they were, the comics were just so much more expansive and like, they were just coming off of, like, I had Jim Lee's X-Men number one when it came out. Like, that was probably right around when I started. I don't know if the cartoon came shortly thereafter or in tandem, um, but it was it was right around there. So like I I loved them, and they were always kind of part of what I was reading at any given point. You know, obviously I I came in and came out. Like I didn't read much of the Matt Fraction stuff when it came out, but then when I got the Iceman gig, I was like I have to read everything. So the fans can't clock me for anything. And then after a few issues of certain runs, I was like. Just need to read a couple pages and I know what happened. <laughs> uh, and then I and then I started focusing only on like Iceman specific stories and going back and looking at like some Scott Lobdell stuff and like really also then charting the like the history of the characters like uh you know relationship with his own sexuality or where that had been in the text. You know what I mean? And I focused on that because that's the thing is like. I think Luciano, you feel the same way. Maybe like the fans are actually really great when you talk to them, like readers, when you talk to them in person are so nice. It's just online where like you get people who run their mouths and, and get angry. And, and that's the thing that like I anticipated was like, okay, people are going to like resist this and say that this is not, you know, that this is just a company mandate forced onto a character. And so I really tried to like look back at, any time that that was there, which is why like Emma, and it's so funny because like I wanted Emma Frost to be in the book way earlier. And that was the other thing was like, so many characters were off the table that first go of things. Like I think Jean Grey was still dead. Um, and then Emma Frost, I forget what they were doing with her, but they were like, no, 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 you can't, you can't have her right now because she's like, she's naughty or something like that. Like th th she can't <laughs> be around. Um, and then she had like slightly implied that she could be like rehabilitated. They're like, okay, you can use her. And, and, and then that's how we got the Christian Frost thing. And like, um, and I think that's why that like last arc is so much more impactful. But yeah, no, I like, I love the X-Men. I love how messy they are. It's funny, the like, the story we're probably going to talk about later to this in this talk is like, 
is like, oh yeah, God, this stuff just gets like so weird and so messy and so like idea soup. Um, <laughs> and and the fans like, you know, and I think we all get it and that's what we love about it. Because it, um, it, yeah, it just is, it's, 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 a, it's a messy soup of like brilliant ideas. <laughs> Uh, I've got I've got some Christian Frost stuff coming up on my show shortly, but I, I've had the chance to interview uh, Carl Ballers, who created that character for the Emma Frost. Series. Well, he was originally Grant Morrison, I, I know, but uh, th- those early explorations about him being hated by his parents and like driven to suicide and like put into a mental institution. Like, thank God, writers like you guys have brought him back <laughs> in better ways. Uh, okay, fair warning for everyone listening: I'm about to have a uh, Luciano Vecchio like absolute love fest for just a moment. Luciano, you are at the fucking top of your game, my friend. The Hellfire Gala and working on this team of incredible artists with incredible writers, that issue was so beautiful uh, and your art was so impressive. But picking up Resurrection of Magneto number one by the incredibly talented Al Ewing, uh, your pages, this is a story about Storm in the afterlife, looking for the soul of Magneto. And I've only had the chance to read the first issue But sometimes art in a book is so fucking beautiful that I have to just slow down and put the book down and like turn the pages slowly. It is so gorgeous, my friend. And you've always been talented, but like what you have done recently, particularly with the Magneto book, is just (laughs) stunning. And I'm watching all these people post these images. Storm's having kind of a heyday. Storm's a hard character to get right. I mean, Iceman's hard to get right, but Storm is really challenging. Her power levels, her origins, the place she sits in the X-Men as a woman of color, her kind of mystical uh, capabilities, uh, what makes her proud and stubborn and and incredible. I am so, so, so impressed. So I want to talk about both Hellfire Gala and Resurrection of Magneto, but let's begin with Resurrection of Magneto, if that's okay. Tell me about working on this incredible character on this incredible book. I, I'm, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. It's so good. Well, thank you. Uh, it was a fascinating process. I, I speak in past because I already did the whole series. It's already drawn. Um, well, one of the, the most exciting parts was getting to work with Ali Wing. Uh, I've been a fan of his writing, especially Defenders and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and I was so curious about uh, thinking how does he write so uh, as a reader uh, a big plus for for me for from this project was getting to read the script and he gets uh, so much into the script that is not micromanaging and it's not over the scripting but it's adding layers of information uh, at a symbol level, at a deep, uh, deep cuts through continuity and pulling references, and it's stuff that is not finally on the page, but it's uh, inspirational, expanding. Uh, so uh, it's an imagination boost. Uh, so something magic happens, something clicked there in the collaborative process. Uh, and it was uh, a huge experience. We, I also have a, my background on tarot and that kind of iconography he uses a lot. Um, so that, that was also a, a bridge between us. Um, 
And I don't know, I, at the same time, I intentionally, uh, with Hellfire Gala and this book, I, I wanted to like level up or like prove that I can uh, do these kind of stories also that I, I, I'm, I don't know, I, I didn't want to uh, be that castle just for fun stories or young characters. Uh, I, I wanted to, to show my darker, more serious side as well. So I made a conscious effort to, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll just my style to, to really show that. Uh, and then there's the, well, working with Storm. Uh, in this story in particular, where she's treated as the archetype of Storm. Uh, I don't know, I feel like uh, I went in trance. <laughs> like, <laughs> Storm. Uh, um, because she, she's the archetype of the goddess in the Marvel Universe. It felt sometimes like the closest thing I, I ever did to drawing a Wonder Woman book, in a sense, because you're channeling that archetype. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, it's uh, the challenge of getting the the, the features right, the, the hair texture right. Um, Pato gave, uh, gave me his help and input with that. Like my first uh, take at the hair texture, uh, he, he will point out uh, um ways to do it better and it paid off so thank you <laughs> um, um yeah and there's so much i can talk about yet because I'm oh yeah yeah <laughs> al has al has this amazing way and by the way uh and i don't want to jinx this knock on wood i'm in early conversations with al about having them come on the show for an interview uh, they have done so many iconic, incredible things at Marvel, uh, from the all-queer team of the Guardians of the Galaxy to the all-people-of-color team of the Avengers to this established society on Mars that's taking place. This ability to take complex characters like Storm and Magneto and kind of strip them down to their essence and tell us exactly why they work and what makes them incredible. And I know you've got some big Magneto stuff coming up. Obviously, I'm an, another, an, an enormous huge fan of that character as well. Uh, but dude, that that first issue of Resurrection of Magneto was, uh, I, I mean, if you've got better to come, that that was the top of the tower, man. That was incredible, incredible work. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about the uh, the Hellfire Gala special as well. I uh, I love a good strong television show, and when you when you're watching a series that has like a big giant season finale and everything that's been building up to that last episode and you know every scene in that last episode is going to punch you in the jaw and like build and build and build and just knock you down at the end that uh that issue that uh you guys put together as a collaborative team last year was just that it was a absolute punch to the stomach uh working on a team like that with that much talent involved where everything must have been so tightly micromanaged at the same time uh well done to everyone from the editors on down but what was that like uh from everything from fashion to gore to bloodshed you know it's it's an incredible incredible work of art that book well thank you um well it was mostly th those two aspects kind of very separate in the same book like on one hand uh, there's the whole fashion design aspect and doing uh, i did a lot of design for this book uh, like oh, more than 10 i think in total 
the first was the the first thing I did was the cover for uh, uh, Immortal X Men 13 with the really singing the file uh, as a homage to the Phoenix File concept. Um, I don't know if if I was or if they were already thinking of me for the actual book before I do do this, but I I did approach it as a you know like a, an audition like this is what I can do from a, a fashion design a perspective and this is what I have to offer. So right after doing this cover, they uh, asked me to be part of the of the main book and they gave me the the opening of the gala pages which was the the most fun to draw uh, i feel it was very important uh, because i feel like in previous galas maybe we we got to see the every design uh, as a cover or as a pinup uh, but not as much as part of the book so i wanted to to give that uh, energy like a uh, I don't know, like uh, every character, like right uh, the, the first page I did every design I, ha I got access to, <laughs> very tiny. Like I, I got to do uh, every every character in their gala outfits. Um, but yeah, the, the most important thing for, for me was to actually show the, the outfits in those pages in, in the most spectacular and gratifying way for the reader. Uh, and then there's the red wedding gory part. Uh, they gave me uh, Iceman's death, quote unquote, uh, pages, uh, which was uh, bittersweet in a way. I mean, I was okay because I already knew he was going to be okay. I already knew about uh, Steve's uh, series. It's um, a it's Iceman's uh, Wicked Witch of the West. I'm melting. I'm melting moment. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, and but then I connect with my dark side, I guess. Um, so I, I wanted to draw Bobby's last battle uh, in the most epic and uh, best better description of the character. Um, but also when I got to draw the the melting part, I wanted to be very gory and shocking uh, because it's what they were going for with the script. And I uh, so it, it, it breaks my heart to see him dying like that. Uh, and I draw it myself. That that's uh, <laughs> There's a contradiction there, uh, but very uh, satisfying in, in a creative way. That book, uh, <laughs> that book is gorgeous, uh, front to back. It just it just punches you in the jaw over and over. Uh, Patricio, you are Luciano's real life friend. He is referencing his dark side. Uh, does does Luciano have a dark side? He does, but he doesn't like to show it. He's very nice. Luciano's <laughs> a very generous and nice. But that's his essence. So when he has to pull dark elements from his soul, it hurts to him. <laughs> but he has a little tiny dark heart under that soft and nice uh, image. <laughs> it's very uh, nice. Lu Luciano, does Patricio have a dark side? Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's much more important. He, 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 he has the, the opposite uh, character arc. Like he started as a <laughs> as a dark uh, yeah, wizard <laughs> and became the the sweetest person ever. He, uh, <laughs> he just drew the devil for me, so I, I know there's a dark side somewhere. Cena, what is your dark side like? Oh, out and out. Uh, <laughs> um, you're like, you're looking at him right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I'm very, like, mischievous. Like, Luciano can uh, attest that one that one night at the bar. <laughs> I think I just like to, like, uh, have fun. You're mischievous. <laughs> yeah, it's impish. It's impish. It's not a... <laughs> I think I'm more sad than dark. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not too dark and stormy. I just get. I just even get very sad. <laughs> I like, uh, I would love to grab a drink with you one day. I uh, I'm a guy that likes two drinks, and then I'm like, it's nine thirty, guys. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> so, but the last time, uh, the last time I drank with uh, Luciano, I, I I referenced this earlier before we started the call. Luciano told me once I get a few drinks in, my brain stops translating things into English. I'm so impressed with your ability, and I've recounted that to a couple of my local friends who are from uh, Brazil and Peru, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's totally what it's like." So thank you for <laughs> articulating that for me. It helped me understand a little more as a guy who is not bilingual. <laughs> Uh, what, uh, well, I mean, we could keep going here. I think we're going to take this spot to transition. This seems like a natural place. Uh, I would love to have more extended conversations with each of you. I'll probably invite you all back for more because I want to ask each of you like 25 more questions, but what, what a, just a genuine honor to center all of this incredible talent in one place. Uh, as we're getting ready to transition to the issue review portion, uh, I would love to hear, uh, I've asked Luciano this question before, but uh, but Cena and then Patricio, what's your take on uh, the Silver Age of X-Men? We're going to jump into a book that's 1970, pre-Claremont. There's kind of a silly old kind of Scooby-Doo vibe to this story where there's lots of weird sound effects and uh, music montages is kind of the way I have to put my head into this space. Uh, what What's it like for you to jump back into the Silver Age with these types of stories? Uh, Cena, you first. Hey. I, I I just forget how dense they are for and then and then you know we're now much more sort of like evolved grown-up readers and so it's like I'm looking at it being like why is it this dense like why did they do this you know um but you also like have to commend how much it's just like in these little things um I mean I'm still I've still got a soft spot for it you know what I mean like I I it, it's still like I don't because I grew up wanting to like hunt down you know, reprints of the 1960s issues and stuff like that. So there's always like a fondness when I, when I see the old stuff. And, um, and then also too, you've got a Marvel at like flat colors where you're like, wow, like they pull off so much. And like nowadays I feel like whenever I have to color myself, I'm like, okay, I need to add like so many layers and then I need to do an overlay and then I need to do like shadows and then I need to do highlights. And that's the only way this thing like, will like manage to be worth anyone's time and like and just looking at these flats being like they knew what they were doing <laughs> uh patricio how about you um it depends in, in terms of the plots sometimes they're really hard to read uh <laughs> very like we, we, we were talking about this, this the other day uh it's very hard I, but it depends which time of the silver age for, for example i do enjoy the roy thomas neil adams x-men arc 
I, I really like those issues, but the first ones are terrible. I mean, I'm sorry I have to say it the way it is for me. I don't like them. I, I, I try to read. I have the omnibus, both, both volumes, and I try to read them, and it's so hard to finish each issue. But on the other hand, I have to say the art is one of my favorites. It, I'm a huge fan of all the art from that era, and I love the color. I'm a huge, I'm obsessed with color in, in comic books. And what Sina said about flat colors, I'm a huge, I'm a sucker for flat colors. So every time I see those, um, especially, especially when you see the issues, not the new digital versions, that are, I don't, I'm not a fan of how they are reproducing now the digital versions of the Silver Age comic books. I love the original issues, the, the texture, the colors, the paper. I'm a huge fan of that. So in terms of art, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan in terms of plot. Mm, you lost me there. It's, 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 it's a mixed bag. Uh, Cena Grace, is uh, Kazar Lord of the Jungle your type? Uh, not sexually. I mean, <laughs> he's handsome, but uh, I do have a fondness for him because it was like one of the early, like, who was it? Someone did a Kazar issue. Uh, was it Carlos Pacheco? No. I don't know, but there was there was something along along the time I was like really into X Men, and I was like, oh, this is cool, and that was sort of my like intro into that world. So I always have like a little soft spot for Kazar. Uh, Luciana, how about you? Are you uh, would 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 you turn down a date with Kazar, Lord of the Jungle? He's like the the opposite of my type. <laughs> uh, so no way, no way. Uh, Patricio, I don't know your sexual preference. Are you into men? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned this yeah. about you just now. Are, is Kazar your type? Uh, he might, but uh, he's too handsome. So I might, mm, I don't know. He, I think he knows he's handsome and he's sexy. So I, turn, I, I tend to go run away from that type. So yeah, no. Like he looks good, but he's dumb. And I don't think he smells very good. <laughs> I'm going to make that presumption. He hangs out with a tiger all the, all the time. There's. <laughs> yeah, no, but if you live in the savage land, I mean, yeah, smell is the least of your problems. <laughs> so we're going to get into some really silly content as we do an issue review. We're meeting the character Zaladane here. We're also meeting the character Garak the Petrified Man. Now, he showed up briefly at the end of last issue. I'll do a recap in just a second. Uh, when we're reading into these stories, which are, you know, 53 years later uh, at this point, because or 54, because it's, uh, it's a 1970 book. Uh, there's some pretty intense topics that are presented in a pretty light way. And we got to have the colonialism conversation really quickly. The Savage Land is meant to be an ancient space filled with kind of tribes that have their own politics and government. I had the thrill of interviewing a Zach Thompson on the show once who did a recent Kazar series that takes this concept in a really beautiful way telling kind of uh, the, the stories of these local tribes interacting and trying to resist the temptations of foreign governments who are trying to offer them things to exploit their resources. And so there's always that kind of conversation when it comes to Savage Land stories. This is one of the early stories. Now, when Kazar first shows up in the X-Men, X-Men number 10 with the Savage Land, there are uh, like the swamp men that, you know, grab Jean Grey and, and like try to run off with her and they fight him and whatever. That's not taken as seriously. But in this issue, we meet the sun people. Uh, we meet, they, they worship a, a god named Garok, the sun god. 
And there's a woman named Zalidade who's kind of infamous in X-Men circles because she's believed to be the daughter of Magneto, question mark, but also the sister of Polaris, question mark. And it's never really been cleared up. And Claremont's used her a couple of times to some pretty positive effect. But she is a kind of priestess who is encouraging her tribe in in worshiping their god they need to go conquer other tribes and basically commit genocide in order to give their god more power and this is a story being written by white men in america we don't have to delve too deep into this because ultimately it's just a silly fun story but whenever we get into that type of space there's a slight amount of discomfort I think we can just enjoy the ride and have a good time, but I do think it's important to toss that statement out before we jump in. Any conversation from any of you about the colonialism aspect of this story before we jump into it? <laughs> I think it's a common trope in Savage and Sword, in Magic and Sword um, comic books that you have this priestess or wizard, dark wizard, that has this sort of colonialism and, and wants to destroy the other village or wants to destroy the other culture. It's very common in Conan and Cruel and all those comic books. So I think they, they took some elements from that comic book type of uh, gender into the savage land. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit concerned about how light skin the characters are in the savage land too because where where's the savage land it's in the south isn't it it's in the middle of antarctica uh and sustained for thousands of years by alien machines <laughs> lovely yeah no worries <laughs> <laughs> it is a little conan the barbarian in that way right? Very conan, yeah, yeah. those types of stories uh luciano do you have any thoughts on that the colonialism part of this um i didn't catch up on that really i this is my first exposure to casara <laughs> almost oh, your first uh, one yeah wow. I, 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 I seen him pop here and there but i i was never a reader of of Kassar. um so i i and i didn't know uh, the other character from future appearances either so this was my uh jumping into in the middle of something that i didn't really understand the context um so I was paying more attention to the art and designs uh, than the subtext because I, I, I don't feel there's much of it. If you uh, <laughs> if you want a deep dive, we have a, a maxi episode on Kazar on my show, The Trial of Kevin Plunder, if you want to go give it a listen. It's, it's a pretty good information dump. This is a British noble lord who was abandoned kind of Mowgli in the Jungle Book style in the Savage Land and then grew up with like saber-toothed tigers. And now he's the king of the Savage Land. He's got a lot of interesting components in the way his stories are told, but it's very much Tarzan or Mowgli, but uh, but the British right. noble lord part of this is always uh, fascinating. We're going to jump into the story briefly. Uh, Sina, why do you think queer fans are obsessed with Zalidane? What is it about this character that people latch on to, if you're, if you're very familiar with her? I, I mean, I think it's, I don't, is this, is this a helmet or is this her hair? <laughs> I think it's a hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was a really cool hair design. Um, you know, I think we're always, well, I think, you know, like, we don't see women in power, like, in the world represented, like, we don't see women inhabit power, like, so fiercely and iconically. And so, like, Obviously, we see pop stars do it, but like, you know, this bitch is like fucking writing. What is this like a fucking pterodactyl or something or weird? <laughs> uh, a weird no, it's a bird. It's 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 got feathers. I think I can't tell. 
Um, she's like writing like, yeah, anyway, but um, I think just seeing someone kind of like, yeah, oh, like a, a, a female identifying character, like, just like, you know, like, also too, it's like, you know, she's this like high priestess or whatever, but she's like totally dressed like a babe. <laughs> <laughs> so like i just think we're always drawn to that like the idea it's like oh yeah and if a woman's in power she's like gonna just definitely be like always like posing and like tits out um, yeah, she's very drag queen there's a lot of drag yeah. queen energy my my intro episode to the show this year featuring uh, uh jordan white and spencer ackerman we talk a lot about the tone shift and this book even though it's silly there is a tone shift because in the early 70s in comics women were finally allowed to start being sexy and evil which is why we opened the trial that we opened the year with was madam hydra because we start to have this kind of tone shift in the way the female characters are portrayed and that's a big part of this uh, okay, so we are going to jump into the issue review officially here. Previously in Astonishing Tales, in the last two episodes on my show, we've covered the Craven the Hunter story, where he traveled to the Savage Land, kidnapped Zabu because he wanted uh, another animal that he wanted to own. Uh, he was full nipple lasers. He was very obsessed. Kazar followed him back to New York City. They had a sexy shirtless battle in a hotel, and, uh, and Kazar won. Uh, but at the end of that, he was approached by a very strange man with kind of rocky skin and like sun golden shaped eyes who identified himself as Garok and said, we've got to get back to the uh, Savage Land or the entire Savage Land is going to die. That's kind of where we left off. So today, uh, as a reminder, Astonishing Tales is a split book between Dr. Doom and Kazar. We are only focusing on the Kazar story today. So it's a 10 page story. I'll kind of guide us through and we'll pause for discussion along the way. Uh, this story is called Back to the Savage Land. It's from Dece December 1970, written by Jerry Conway with art by Barry Windsor Smith. So that's kind of a surprise for, for folks. Uh, there is a creative team shift here. Sam Granger's on inks, Artie Simek is on letters, and Stan Lee is the editor. We meet uh, uh, four different characters in this issue. Zaladane is one. She has a total of 14 appearances across all of history. Uh, her tribe, the Sun People, have shown up about six times in different X-Men and Wolverine books. There's a character named Tonga here, T-O-N-G-A-H, who is like a tribal guy who uh, is a, a, a frequent guest star in different Kazar stories over the years. This guy's shown up about 30 times. Another Whoa. character that's associated with him uh, for people who may be more familiar is Nereel, N-E-R-E-E-L. She she doesn't appear here, but she's the, the lady that had the love child with Colossus, question mark, uh, <laughs> in a future Claremont story. Uh, we also meet a character's named the Lizard Men of Valakuri here. This story also features the complex origin of Garak the Petrified Man. Uh, Patricio, do you want to talk to us about the cover of this book? Oof, the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love these covers. With, they're so silverish with dialogues and uh, with many, like, collapse. And I love that it's half, half Dr. Doom, half Kazar. I think that the artists are not the ones from the from the issue. I think that Mary Sovereign and Sean Buzema are working on the cover. I, I, this is not Barry Windsor Smith work. I'm I'm sure about that. It's, Correct. But, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure who is the cover artist because I check it and there were four names and I wasn't sure who was actually doing the pencils and who was doing the inks. So I like the cover. I mean, it's very generic. It's very He-Man and the Master of the Universe. He sure. Looks like, you know. It, very like the mini comic books that you used to have when you buy a action figure, human action figure back in the eighties. It doesn't tell anything about the whole story at all. It's just an action scene, but I like it. I mean, it's very action oriented, so I'm fine with it. 
So when we open this book on the on the uh, Kazar story, we see Kazar and Zabu still in this hotel room, which is painted very yellow and blue here. Uh, and Garak, the petrified man, is visiting him. Luciano, do you want to talk to us about uh, their looks? Uh, Kazar and Garak's appearances on this first page. <laughs> I'm very obsessed with uh, the petrified man design, especially the, the eyes. At first, I was thinking, is this glow or this is a shape? But it is actually a shape. I will never think of giving that uh, sun ray shapes to a, an eye. Uh, and it got me thinking of, uh, you know, like artists nowadays, we tend to uh, refer more to photos or uh, realism. Uh, and I, it makes me nostalgic for this sort of uh, iconographic language of all comic books that this is how rocks are represented uh, in Silver Age comics. And it doesn't have anything to do with how we tend to do it now. Uh, so it made me think like, uh, I would love to draw this character. <laughs> and I, I would love to draw more like this, like uh, uh, referring to this um, language of comics in itself. And Kassar for me is like a generic, uh, I don't know, he looks, this is, it's the same, they cast the same actor as Thor and Kamandi. Kassar uh, is, is shirtless. Yeah, Kazar is shirtless in this like sexy pair of white pants. I'm so into this look. He's so hot on this first page. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and they're, they're all so dramatic. And the, the contrast between the his fabulous hair and the supposedly how supposedly savage he is, but the, the hair is impeccable. <laughs> it gives me some sort of visual noise, but I, <laughs> I get the idea that the two of these men just had sex and now they're ready to talk. <laughs> they're both shirts off. Garak is pulling his pants back up. He's got his giant chunky sun necklace on. Uh, this design on this character is fascinating. He looks like this kind of a wizened old man. Uh, Patricio Orsino, were either of you familiar with Garak uh, before we recorded today? Is this a character you know from like the Claremont run, for example? Yeah, I did not say in my head. No, <laughs> uh, he's, he's interesting. Uh, Claremont picks him up in the uh, the infamous X Men story, like kind of during the Dark Phoenix saga when they go to the Savage Land and we get like shirtless hot Banshee for the first time, and Jean thinks the X Men are dead, which allows her to kind of delve into her Phoenix side more. Uh, so this character comes back then. Uh, okay, so Kazar is staring at Garak, and Garak says in his creepy kind of rock old man voice, which is how I picture him, Stare if you must, Kazar, it will not alter what you see. My body, my very flesh is indeed turned to living stone. Death's touch is denied me, and that price of that privilege is that form which stands before you, and an anguish beyond your comparison. Kazar says, the work of demons, and he says, nay, my friend, or my savage friend, of gods. Uh, you speak of riddles, stranger, he says. He says, but I need to tell you my origin. It's 500 years old, and it may mean the freedom of your land. We'll get to his origin in just a second. But first, we got to cut to the Savage Land for the official first appearance of Zaladade. Uh, this character is insane. I love her in a very odd way. I know Connor Goldsmith on Cerebro is such a huge fan of this character. He calls his fans or his followers the Zala Gang. Like, that's how much he's imprinted on this odd way woman. Uh, Sina, I would love to hear you describe, if you will, Zaladane's uh, drag queen look as she addresses her son people here. Well, first of all, you you uh, you 
you gotta say that they didn't just say 500 years they said half a thousand years I, <laughs> like the, the writing is so floral in such a very weird way but um yeah she comes out and she's got a cape and then she does her reveal tosses the cape aside and does like a hail hitler to her people um and she's got the like very unnecessary like uh bicep cuff and then she's got a bunch of little like bands around like the the, the psylocke straps around her uh what are these is this forearm is this forearm <laughs> i suppose <laughs> and then she's just got um a really cool like uh design like a little like what what would you call this like a flame work design this yanum like like little flames drawn up and down her outfit. so that's yes, the, the texture of the yes and that's a hat not her hair with like a cool gold piece on it um it's both when you see her from behind there's like the hair coming out of the, uh, the, of the helmet. It, it it's very inconsistent depending on which panel she should what be is on the spot like you know they're just doing this like like they're like oh i don't know what she looks like from the back let's mm, okay and then they forget the next day and they're like oh i don't remember what she looks like from the back they, yeah they, like you know all this like that's the crazy thing about these books is like they don't think oh we're creating something that's gonna be used and referenced for 50 years to come they're like a kid's gonna look at this let's just make it look cool um this is a this is the design challenge on RuPaul's Drag Race. She put this look together and walked out and the only reason it worked is because of her confidence. She's strutting down the runway. <laughs> Zaladane in her introduction is addressing a group of her people. It's very kind of like Mayan Aztec like civilization human sacrifice energy. She's standing before a giant rock face that has uh eyes that look like Garrox, right? Like the little jagged like starburst eyes behind her uh, her men are whispering about are the prophecies true and here's the captions that introduce her uh she's doing her little heil hitler as cena said and this is zaladane she whose very name brings shivers of fear to the to the meek zaladane she whose word means life or agony field death zaladane she who speaks uh it's it's a great entrance <laughs> i wish you'd have said it more like xanadu zaladane <laughs> uh and she brings she brings her people joyous tidings uh the ancients have promised uh our temples are filled with strange mists our grasslands dewed with golden waters everywhere the omens can be seen growing to fruition as the old ones prophesied the stars fall into new conjunctions as they prophesied the very earth is in turmoil there can be no doubt the first age of the sun is ending and the sun king will soon walk among us once more uh, we do not know much about this woman's origins. Again, she might be Polaris's sister, which is a Claremont edition way later. I don't know how she ended up here. This is a bizarre story. Uh, let's address that really quickly. Polaris is the daughter of Magneto, who had sex with a woman named Susanna Dane and produced an heir. When Lorna's powers activated, her plane crashed and her parents were killed. And then she was raised by her mother's sister and husband, I think. Uh, we've never seen her adopted parents on panel. So one of the theories is that Zala Dane, Lorna Dane, Zala might be like her sister through her mom's side that was like went to the savage land to worship the sun god. I don't exactly know what's going on here. Do you guys have thoughts on the Zala Dane Polaris connection at all? Ah, oh, Claremont. I mean, 
I love that that guy. I mean, I, I, I really love Claremont, but those issues, we better forget about them because it makes no sense at all. It has no, I mean, it has no connection. I mean, she said, okay, let's make her her sister, just because. Just a, because I wanted to do that with her. Well, she has the name Dane, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but at first it wasn't like Zana Dane, it was Zana Dane altogether. So she, he decided to change that just for the sake of creating like this whole plot that makes no sense. And that was even, I mean, Saladin has, Saladin has so many little appearances in the X books. And actually it's Magneto, the one who killed her in, the, in her last appearance. So why would he kill his own daughter? I mean, it's so bizarre how things were. It's a then. very, it's a very weird connection. When we zoom in on her on this third page, she kind of looks a little bit more like a chicken with this like gold piece, uh, like centered down her head. Do you guys see? It's like a little chickeny looking. She's ready to lead her people to conquest over the savage land to honor the sun god, who apparently it's she believes it's their time. Uh, any final comments on this first appearance of Zaladade before we jump back to the origins of Garak? Uh, real quick, like she has her like minions holding pots of fire yeah. that's what it is and but they have like weird uh metal wings or something it's very it's it's very again idea soup but it looks really cool <laughs> they're gonna like <laughs> drop them from birds on the local tribes that was something like that there's a there's i don't know there's something magic about this character okay i'm gonna take time to read the origin of garak because it's fascinating and then let's talk about it he's explaining to kezar listen Though your reason cry out against my words, listen, time is but a veil to me to be brushed aside. Half a thousand years ago, I was a lonely sailor aboard the HMS Drake. And by the way, the HMS Drake is like a real ship that's been, there's like a hundred HMS Drakes. Like Google it. There's like a whole Wikipedia page. But in the 1600s, there was one that like shipwrecked pretty hardcore that's gone missing. I'm kind of assuming that's the one they're referencing. I was a lonely sailor aboard the HMS Drake, bound to find new passage to the south. In our third month out, we hit ice. For seven days, we beheld but bleak skies and tedious plains of white. But on the eighth day, Captain, Captain, to the starboard, the warning came too late and the sea took us. They crashed into an iceberg, Titanic style. How does one seek to measure the passage of death? For I was as one dead, floating midst the wreckage of our ill-fated ship for hours, perhaps days, till a current of warm water swept me under into cool darkness, and I woke to the scent of another world. My mind spun in rebellion. Uh, he wakes up in the savage land. He's wondering if God has forsaken him. In a stupor, I wandered through gathering twilight. It was under the light of moonrise that I came to the clearing. And he walks upon the temple of Garak with the giant stone face. It was nothing like I'd ever seen in all my journeys across the seas of the earth. Uh, and uh, he finds a goblet of water sitting on this rock face in front of this stone statue and decides to drink it. Saints save me, I drank. I took the cup of Satan and I drank, which is my favorite line in the whole book. Uh, the question went unanswered. Uh, excuse me. So he doesn't know what he drank. He soon gets attacked by some folks and he just goes fleeing. I ran and ran while the very hounds of the devil pursued me. It was then that I discovered the true terrors of that world out of time. It was then that I learned the meaning of its name, the Savage Land. I ran, stopping, resting, running again. There came a time of darkness, and when again awareness held me, I was free. 
Never shall I know how I escaped that land, nor does it truly matter. Returning to my native England, I thought my nightmare over, while indeed it was only just beginning. All about me, people grew old and died, while I, I remained the same. The oceans turned into decades, the decades into centuries. I was an outcast from reality. All I could do was cry, and he's clenching his fists at the sky. Why won't I die? Yet inwardly I knew the drink had been an elixir of life, a body racked by terrible metamorphosis. I'd becoming altered, taking on the features of that idol. It is this my curse to become the Sun King? Those people had learned a secret of immortality, a secret their sun god guarded with a bittersweet curse. I grew apart from my fellow man, apart in mind as well as in body. And now he is there meeting Kazar, needing to return to the Savage Land. This is a crazy fucking origin story. Let me hear your thoughts on this crazy guy. <laughs> it just reminds me of that, like, the pirate thing in Watchmen or whatever. Like, this is just such a, like... <laughs> I from the thing. Yeah. I saw totally the same when I was reading it. I really like his design. I mean, he's very Kirby, like Jack Kirby in terms of design, I, I like that. The story is a bit of a, a bit of a mess in terms of time. Like how many years? Like a hundred, two hundred, how many? Uh, he says he says half a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I don't know, so much. It's, it, it, I, but I like it. It's like it's so like flamboyant in terms of information and, and, and everything. It's like it's so over the top that I enjoyed. But I have to say this: when I read it, I didn't enjoy it as much as when I hear you when you are reading it. Mm -hmm. I think we need a Silver Age uh, reading um, audiobooks because it's so much. <laughs> it's so much better if you listen to yeah, them. It than needs, to, it needs so the drama. The I, uh, I, I get this comment a lot on my show. Like when you do it, when you do the voice, it makes a difference. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a soap opera. It's I, I need I need that. I, I really need that. I, uh, everything everything is described in it too. So like we don't need you could just do an audio book as it is. Yeah. Like but these are such text yeah. pages. We uh we've done a few script readings. I uh, I will think about it, but I've already done a full episode on every Silver Age X Men book, and I have very little desire to ever read any of them again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to be moving into a new era on my show. So Garak is having these like visions of it's the year of the Sun King, the year of death. We have to get back there, or the Savage Land will perish. So we get one single panel. There's like a plane to a boat, and then they're back in Antarctica. Like I don't know how they get to the Savage Land so easily. Uh, but it's just as he remembered it. And uh, when they return, some locals, uh, specifically Tonga, uh, who uh, recognizes Garok as a uh, as in, in the image of the uh, sun god. And he tries to attack uh, killer of women. You who gave death shall now receive it. Now, apparently Tonga is an old buddy of Kazar. Kazar stops him by like grabbing his chin and like yanking him back and then socking him in the jaw which is pretty harsh i think and, and uh tonga reports as they are sparring that his entire family has been slaughtered by zaladane's tribe all the vultures from the sky they came and killed now tonga will take his vengeance now the sun man dies and kazar just tosses him in the water uh let's hear your thoughts on tonga and this scene the uh the the mention of genocide is just one single panel apparently a lot of shit's been going down while kazar is gone I mean, it, it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like the the the, the bat shit keeps shitting. Like his thing is crazy. <laughs> I like the use of colors. When they start fighting, the whole scene turns red, 
And I think that's amazing how, how I, who's the colorist? I can't remember. Uh, it doesn't often give the colorist back in the 70s books. We actually don't know. They start reporting colorists in a few more years uh, at Marvel, but it, it, often it was never reported. Because if you watch the three the three pages, when Tonga show up, the skies are, are sky blue, are clear, and then it turns everything turns red, and then it goes back to the previous coloring. So I think it's very, I really like that. Even the, 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 the skin tone becomes so near the, the, the background color. I, I really like that. It, it gets so much tension. And I guess that's the Savage Land way, how they treat each other. Very like physical, a little bit sexy, I don't know. <laughs> Frankly, it's pretty uh, Araco if we're looking at like, <laughs> Al Ewing X-Men Red Books, right? Like uh, like trial by combat kind of energy. Absolutely. Uh, Tonga, Tonga reports to Kezar that his entire family, his village, his child have all been killed and slaughtered. So fuck, Zaladin's a fucking bad guy, man. Again, I, I love seeing a super villainous, but this is not a, a nice woman. And uh, Kezar vows that they will not forget. They will get revenge. Uh, and he, Tonga says, it was Zaladane, she who massacred my people. Garak says, it is as I told you. I can sense them coming. A thousand fires flare beneath my skin. They come, my friend, they come. Uh, this man announces whenever he ejaculates. <laughs> you can feel it like the fires beneath his skin. Uh, and then, Sina, do you want to tell us about the final page here as uh, Zaladane launches her war front? Uh, I mean, talk like it's so funny, like how much stuff happens in the story, and like there's like very little to no action or very little to no interaction, like in the Savage Land. And so, like, this is like, oh, okay, now it's gonna get juicy, and then it's like, oh, let the battle begin. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, basically, they uh, they see Zaladane and like her army coming on. What so okay, these are just these birds are pterodactyls. Like, what are these? Uh, I think these are character like dinosaur feathered creatures <laughs> some native species to the savage land they're blue blue kind of creepy little mythical beasts that you'd see in like the gore books or something yeah, i mean barry windsor smith called it he he knew 50 years ago he's like dinosaurs had feathers um <laughs> Except he's British. <laughs> that, that, that was my British accent. Thank you. I'm not good at that. <laughs> um, Dinosaurs have feathers, y'all. Let's go to Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am stupid. <laughs> but, Let's get some tea and crumpets. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, and then, you know, we just get like, uh, we see her sort of descending. And what does she say? Like, oh, you know, our journey must be swift. Like, she's like, you know, Huntress's attack now, basically. Uh, and yeah, This is it, very, like, Wicked Witch of the West commanding the flying monkeys, like, kind of moment for her. It, it makes me laugh. I, Fly, my dark angels! Like, she, she's a little transcendent as they, like, commit aerial war against the natives beneath them. It's, uh, it's fantastic, actually. I kind of... I'm, I'm a little endeared in the second to last panel. That's, like, Zabu is, like, like batting at the air, like like the little birdies that he's like, he's like, let me at him. <laughs> really cute. And I just, um, <laughs> I had the delightful opportunity to interview Linda Fight on my show, who was Marvel's first female writer. If you guys have ever seen that old Jean Grave, like five panel 
where she's like in her green dress doing housework and like demonstrating how her power. Yeah. That's written by Linda Fight. Linda Fight and her husband, who was Herb Trimpey at the time, they later divorced, became acquainted with Barry Windsor Smith and invited him to America to work at Marvel. And he like crashed on their couch for a while. His first work at Marvel, I think, is X Men 53, if I'm getting the number right. It's where the X Men fight Blastar. Uh, and then he starts to do more regular work. Are you guys Barry Windsor Smith fans? What's uh, what's some yeah. of your favorite work of his later on? Oh god, I don't remember what the book was called. His he did some creator own thing that like one of my first boyfriends got me a whole bunch of Adastra. Okay, his weird. It was like his weird like fake storm book. Um, that thing is beautiful. Yeah. And his Wolverine stuff too. I was in France and like at a gas station and gas stations in France are like mini malls, like luxury mini malls. And um, they had like a hardcover of the Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine for like six euros. Uh, and I ended up picking out some other books instead. Cause I was like, okay, I'm not really going to like, look at this like a bunch. Now I'm regretting it as of this chat, but instead I got, uh, I got the like Joe Quesada Spider-Man's one bad day. Cause I was like, I'm not reading this for the writing anyway. I just want, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then in Olivier Coppel, like, uh, Thor hardcover, I was just like, yeah, like I, I, I'll, I'll look at these, but, um, now I'm regretting not picking that up. Luciano, are you a Barry Windsor Smith fan? Uh, I'm wasn't very familiar with his work, uh, and uh, I mean I've seen I think Weapon X is his. Uh, Weapon X. He also did uh, that that infamous Storm and Forge story, Life Death. Uh, yeah, Life Death. Remember that I, story? I read it recently as uh, uh, research. Because you do your research, <laughs> I know, so, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm. I'm is it, He's not the, the artist I'm most familiar with, uh, but yeah, have some impressions. I really love, uh, this is lesser known to X-Men fans, but there's a there's a Machine Man limited series with Herb Trippy from the 80s that I really love his art on as well. It's it's my, kind of my signature favorite for him. Uh, he's still alive. He's 74. I did reach out to an interview him once, but I never heard a response. But Barry Windsor Smith, if you're listening, I'd love to talk to you on this show anytime. Uh, Patricio, do you have any comments on the art? I love him. He's, he's amazing. I mean, his 80s work is phenomenal. I'm a huge fan of his Marvel Fanfare thing, short story. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. And he's very obsessed with color, too. He likes to do his coloring, so because he knows how color works with his illustrations. So I'm a huge fan. Have you seen Monster, his last uh, book? I'm unfamiliar. It was supposed to, I think it's called Monster. It's supposed to, same as the Storm story, it was supposed to be a Hulk story that he never finished for Marvel. So she, he ended up doing this whole huge book in, I think it's black and white. I, I'm not a huge fan of the plot, but in terms of the art, oh my God, it's amazing. I, it's mind blowing. It's incredible. And I really, really like his work in the eighties, especially X-Men and, and Weapon X and all that stuff. It's, it's amazing. He's it's, it's, it's very, very talented. I think Roy Thomas was a big fan of his as well. Uh, he did a lot of stuff in Avengers around this time. It's it's pretty beautiful art. Now, we're going to be spending uh, the next two episodes of this show kind of following up on this story. Barry Windsor Smith will stay on the art. It's going to be more Garak and more Zalidate. The story goes real crazy. 
So tune in if you'd like to keep uh, listening and following this story. Uh, we're going to get ready to wrap up our conversation. I'd love to hear any final thoughts from any of you about what it was like to visit this book from 1970. But let me just say a sincere thank you to all three of you. I'm an enormous fan. And just putting this particular team of incredible artists and writers together is so special. Uh, I, I've had the pleasure of interacting with uh, Patricio and meeting Luciano, but Sina, I've been a big fan for a long time and I literally have a little list of like stuff of yours that I want like, to look <laughs> up and like be more familiar with now. But your work on Iceman was really, uh, really special to me. In particular, I, I came out in 2011 uh, as a father of like very, two young children and reading this character that I had grown up loving and seeing him written by a queer writer was really important to me at the time. And I, I'm now so intimately connected to the character of Iceman, but I think your work with him has really redefined him for like a whole new generation of queer readers. It's really, it's really special and it's, and it's pretty important. Uh, so I'm, I'm a huge fan of all of yours, but just thank you all for being here and, 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 uh, and gathering with me on this very silly story today. It's a, it's an honor to, uh, to have you all assembled as we are wrapping up. Uh, I'd love to hear any final thoughts. Where can people find each of you online? And we're going to put this out on the main show on February 26th. So if there's anything you'd like to plug, that's when you should time this for. Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Patricio, Luciano, and then Sina. Okay. You can find me on Instagram, Patricio Oliver. Uh, I think it's Patricio Oliver. I don't, I'm not sure. But if you look for me and you see that the icon is an illustration, that's me. Because there's no one else with that name on, on Instagram. And I just released a new comic book here, Argentina, new book. Uh, but it's only for Argentinians. But if you want a digital copy, uh, we can arrange that too. Please send uh, me one, please. I would yeah, love yeah. to read it. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will. It's in Spanish. That's the, the tricky thing. But I think I will. I will work on a translation because I think it, it, many ex fans will like this. I think many ex fans will like this book too because I have a huge influence from the X book. So and also, I also doing this comic book, uh, digital comic book with other artists from Argentina in a webpage called Chroma Comics, like Chroma like color. Uh, Luciano is, is in a way related to the project because he, he's like the, what, what are you, like the godfather of the... <laughs> the mascot. <laughs> he wants to be the mascot, but it's more, like, more than that. So this is a, like a digital platform where we Argentinian artists and comic book artists, we have these different superhero books. It's also in Spanish and it's really great. We have many talented artists working with us and it's free. So everyone can read it so we can share later the link. Uh, Patricio, you're super talented, but you, we've been sending like voice clips back and forth. We've gotten to know each other. You have this like just sunshiny, lovely energy about you. It's so great to meet you, man. Thank you for coming on today. I'm, I'm, I'm happy okay. we got to cross paths. Uh, Luciano. Um, can I add something to Patricio's? He has a podcast about new X-Men. He's not plugging. For people who are too. following Patricio, he's doing all these crazy, delicious X-Men redesigns on Instagram. Go check it out. It's really great. Um, I am Luciano Vecchio on Twitter, X, uh, and Luciano Vecchio Art on Instagram. And I have accounts on other... Uh, like blue sky and stuff, but no, it's not really catching up. <laughs> you, you can find me mostly on X and Instagram. Uh, I'm currently uh, on Resurrection of Mimito. The first issue just came out, and the second issue is out on February 24, so right before this is there. And I will be in Miles Morales Spider-Man issue 18, legacy number 300. 
with a so, Cody Ziegler. And that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, really close. I don't, I don't know the exact date. And I'm doing a bunch of covers, variant covers. Um, oh, and my creator own book, Sereno, uh, hardcover is coming out now in February as well. So that that's what I'm doing. Fantastic. I can't wait for Resurrection of Magneto number two, man. It's so good. So good. So great to see you, Luciano. Are you doing any cons this year in America? Uh, not this year. I'm, I've been focusing more on Latin America uh, conventions. I went to Brazil and Ecuador this year, and I'm doing Costa Rica in May and Uruguay in November. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm staying south this time. Understood. Although I really hope to cross paths against one day again, one day, man. It's great to see you. Uh, and then Cena. Uh, yeah, nice thing about this name is very easy to stake a claim on social media. So it's at Cena Grace on uh, all of the platforms. But you know, we're, I'm an Instagram girly, um, and yeah, if you know, if people haven't picked it up, please pick up Superman: The Harvest of Youth. Uh, it's my special baby. And then I don't know, there's like stuff that's going to happen this year, but I don't know when, which is like so, so great for when you go into a comic store and they're like, do you have anything coming out? And you're like, no. Can't say <laughs> well, it's just a bunch of like, well, because yeah, and I'm also like, I've been doing graphic novels lately. So it is really like, I just promote like two books a year. But it's like, no, 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 but they're like 200 pages each. Like, I've been doing things, but, but like, it's, it's, I, yeah, it's way different than like having a monthly book where you can be like, yeah, and then next month this and then next month that. But, um, but there might be some stuff. We'll see. Wink. <laughs> uh, what a tremendous honor to meet you again, Cena. Thank you so much. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but the three of you are welcome to add me if you would like. Uh, you can find Graymalkin Lane, Graymalkin underscore Lane on Instagram and Discord currently. That's my only social media presence, although we are putting out videos on TikTok lately uh, with my friend Taylor Vessel, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the next episode of this show coming out immediately after this is going to be Astonishing Tales number four, uh, featuring the writer Jeff Jensen, uh, the writer Jason Lowe, and the writer Anas Abdulhaq. I'm really excited to have uh, <gasps> Anas back, and I haven't met uh, Jeff yet. The, uh, the next uh, Patreon episode right after this is going to be... I got convinced, guys, I didn't want to do it because I hate this character, but we're doing Madam Web because of the fucking movie. Demanda Martini and Gary Halpert are joining me to talk about oh, that, be good. that awful old lady who's just way worse than Destiny, and it's just not worth my time. <laughs> we're going to talk about her, so make sure you're listening for that as well. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you for Patricio and Luciano and Cena. We'll see you back here next time on Green Mountain Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help... Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.